You're listening to the Elevate Podcast, the official podcast of the Coastal LA Singles Ministry, where our focus is reaching up, reaching in, and reaching out. If everyone, all right, while everyone's kind of getting settled back in, uh, we did want to make one announcement uh, with uh, the Marichis out of town. We were asked to make an announcement. So you guys remember our last Elevate of this series is actually Halloween night. And so we're going to be kind of doing a spooky food contest that Jackie's gone of heading up. So if you've got things that kind of fit with the holiday theme, it could be kind of very spooky fun. And we encourage you to bring it. There will be prizes for the best items, for the best food, and then everyone else come with a good appetite. Um, but we're going to have a good time with it. Uh, tonight, we're going to actually look at chapters 5 and 6 of the book, which talk about obedient love and discerning love. This, These two chapters in the book are, are, are very important and they're very challenging. Obedience isn't something that oftentimes people like to get up in front of other people and tell them, be obedient. It could be a challenge. And then discernment, uh, the book really focuses on um, different styles of discernment and raising children. But we're going to see if there's any way to apply raising children to singles. Um, but uh, we're going. But when we do it tonight, I thought, well, what better way to do? Because you all clearly are going to read the book or have read the book. So why regurgitate the book? So what we wanted to do tonight is look at a character in the Bible that actually exhibits and really struggles with the challenges of these two aspects of love. And so we're going to look at the character of Jonah. Jonah existed about, most people believe he, he ran amok in the Middle East in about 750 to 800 B.C. Uh, his contemporary prophets running around at the same time were um, Elisha and Hosea that were all running around in the same time period. And that's actually going to play into the story of Jonah a little bit and his challenge with obedience. Jonah's traditionally read uh, during the fall uh, holidays within the Jewish tradition and the biblical tradition, the holidays Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah read the book of Jonah, specifically about obedience, salvation, repentance, uh, the obvious types of things. But what we wanted to do in looking at Jonah was really look at how he struggled with his own decisions on obedience. If you look at Jonah, Israel was kind of on the comeback, but then there were prophets preaching that Israel was going to be destroyed again. Jonah's being sent to a foreign land to tell a group of people to repent that are being prophesied to destroy Israel in the future by Hosea. So Jonah's asked, being asked to go to his enemies and tell them to repent so God doesn't kill him. It's a challenge. He's going to his most hated. Imagine someone in Israel going to the heart of Syria or Saudi Arabia going, hey guys, I'm here to help. It would be a difficult thing for him. Or vice versa, someone from from Syria going into Israel. It would be a challenge. These different challenges in obedience are there for us in our lives. And I want us to think about, as we look at obedience, as we look at the story of Jonah, as we look at discernment, and see maybe where we're at in our own walk with God, and how easily and how subtly disobedience and a lack of discernment can creep in.
you help me? Thanks, Turnwall. First question then, obviously, is are you obedient? It's a very serious question. Jonah 1, verses 1 through 3 says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. This is a prophet. It's a man of God. Said, you know what? I know you're telling me to do something. I don't like it. I've been faithful for a long time. I've done what everything you've asked me to do, but I've had enough. In fact, I've had enough so much, I'm going to go away because I don't even want to hear your voice right now. I don't know if you've ever been that frustrated with someone. I've probably made people that frustrated where they didn't want to hear the sound of my voice for a while. But we have to look at our lives and see where are we going to do it. There's the obvious things in my own walk with God. There was a time where I walked away. There was a time where I struggled. I was going through a divorce. And I knew God was asking me to do some very challenging things. And I want to do it. I didn't want to leave God, but I didn't want to listen to God. So I struggled. And I fled. I fled to the Newport coast, not Tarshish. <laughs> not exactly a hard place to <laughs> hang out. Balboa Island isn't exactly a remote, deserted place. But I ran away because in my heart I was frustrated and struggling with wanting to listen to God. I had to fight. And search my soul because I was tired and I was hurt and I was over it. And I had lost sight of what was important. So the first question of obedience is, he decided he wanted to get away. He didn't want to go preach about the wickedness. Was it because he knew of Hosea's prophecies? Maybe, maybe not. We don't know. Did he know that these people were going to... But he did know that these were his enemies. He was being asked something he didn't think it was fair for him to have to do. When we look at our own lives, these different areas of obedience, what are the areas we don't want to do? What are the things we don't want to do? Brothers, are we burnt out and don't want to go on dates anymore? Don't we like, why do I got to do it? Why I got a plan? I'm bored. I'm over it. Sisters, are we tired and frustrated and lost hope? Because you look across the room and you go, there ain't many brothers and what brothers are here aren't exactly my cup of tea. We start to lose sight of the living God. And that's one of the things I notice about obedience. When we deal with obedience, oftentimes when we start to to struggle with it, we forget who and why we're being obedient. We forget what is important in our life and our walk with God. Jonah's response was to get on a boat. And let's see what he did. He actually decided to go down to the bottom of the boat and go to sleep. He figured it was time to take a nap. I don't know about you. When I'm depressed, I'm tired. I think it's a clear sign he was suffering from depression. Craziness all around me. I'm going to go down and sleep on the bottom of the boat. Y'all deal with whatever's going on. I'm out. Let me know when we get to Vegas. Let me know when we get to Hawaii. Let me know when we get away from doing anything I want to do. But God, in his way, oftentimes, says something different. He says, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. 
And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below the below deck where he laid down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us that we will not perish. I think a lot of us have fallen asleep. I think a lot of us have given up. I think a lot of us have stopped listening to the voice of the living God in our own ways. Is it about dating? Is it about if someone tells me I need to go share my faith one more time, I'm going to throw a brick at them. Is it, what is it? Where have we lost sight of what's going on? Meanwhile, there's people, there's many of us in this room that have been 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 years in the singles. Some hopeful, some not. Some are rollercoasters, sometimes good, sometimes not. But we have to honestly look at where our relationship with God is with each other. Do we care enough to love one another? Do we care enough to encourage one another? Do we care enough to follow all of those scriptures that describe what love is? To be obedient to love. To be obedient to the living God and his call. The world is burning around us. They're throwing items off the ship and Jonah's just sleeping. How many, how many baptisms have been in our ministries this year? Do we have positive growth? Now, ultimately, it's up to God to whether he's going to save or not. That's not up to you and me. But we can't open our mouth. We can't acknowledge the living God. We can't do what he called us to do. And I'm not up here saying you got to go get a thousand cards and go share a blind knock on doors and it's midnight. You're falling over because you worked 80 hours that week. But I'm talking about finding enough faith and willingness to be obedient. Finding enough love in your heart to realize that obedience is an act of love. My God, acts of service is one of the five love languages. So you know, God's all five. He likes quality time. He likes words of encouragement. He's always looking to give you a hug. He likes physical touch. He likes acts of service. He likes gifts. He likes special ones once a year. He likes weekly ones every night, every week. <laughs> that little gift. Televangelists call them love gifts. Um, but... But as we deal with these things and we see what we need to be obedient to, are we willing to listen to the living God? Are we willing to get up in this room and say, you know what? I'm ready to give. You know that most churches plan to give to the younger singles. Now, I'm not talking about the ICOC. I'm talking about American churches. Because they believe it's the young that have the energy and that will drive a ministry. It's often believed that those that have been around 10, 15, 20 years, it's a fruitless endeavor. They're going to give up. They don't have the energy. They don't have the desire. They lose that little shine, that shiny, the new car smell is off. And they start to give less and less and less and less as they get older. That's the perception. But we're filled with the same Holy Spirit. We're filled with the same Spirit of the living God. Are we willing to be obedient to the Holy Spirit? Are we willing to love those things? Are we going to stay in the bottom of the ship sleeping while everyone else around us is doing the work? But what is it that prevents us? There's usually some stuff that happens. And Jonah 2, 7 through 9 addresses this issue. When my life was ebbing away, this is actually the prayer of, of Jonah. When Jonah got swallowed up by the fish, the great fish or the whale, however you want to translate it. He sits there and he has his moment. I refer to it as his Lieutenant Dan moment. How many people have here seen Forrest Gump? And you know, Lieutenant Dan sitting on the top of the ship yelling at God in the middle of the storm, asking him why. Why did this happen? Why, 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 why? 
Next morning, storm's gone, and he's made peace with the living God. But he was honest. He had to come to his breaking point. And for me, I've actually got a tattoo on my arm marking my Lieutenant Dan moment. When I talked about living in the Newport area, going through divorce, afraid to deal with church, didn't want to hear people afraid, running from God the best I could. I remember standing on a, on a little fishing pier uh, on the Balboa Island um, near the, uh, the ferry. And a big giant, I was standing on the little fishing dock ready to pray. And a big giant sea lion jumped up on the dock, looked at me. I looked at him. He just kind of nodded and sat there. And I said, all right, cool, we're going to do this. But I proceeded to have a very honest, real prayer. Because, see, for me, my struggle was I wasn't willing to do it God's way. God, I will let you lead me through these things if you protect my heart, if you do this, if you don't challenge me, if you love me, if you hug me, if you do it the way I want you to. I'm more than willing to do it. But these are the things I need. I'm just being honest about my needs. But in that moment, I finally realized, no, I need to do it on God's terms. I'm in the middle of a storm. My life was falling apart. What was the point? What was anything? Was I willing to do it on his terms? Whatever you ask, whatever you need, whatever you want. And Jonah, in his prayer, and I encourage you, in chapter 2, read his entire prayer. It is amazing. Read the prayer. But this part I wanted to highlight specifically. When Jonah says, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. Are you willing to do that? To do it, you've got to identify what are the idols keeping you from it. Is the idols your work? Is idols bitterness? Bitterness can be an idol. For me, it was anxiety. It was frustration. It was depression. I worshipped and served those things to try to survive a day. Because I was hurt. I wasn't willing to be open and deal with the truth. I wasn't able to, I wasn't willing to let people in and help me. Are you willing to identify those things in your life, whether it's the desire to be married, to own a home, to have children, to um, have a better bank account, to live in a different place, to have a better ministry leader, to have a better midweek, to have one closer to where you live, whatever the issue is, what are the things preventing you from worshiping the living God? What are the things preventing you? What are the idols you've erected that take these subtle areas where you are disobedient? We are. We have these areas. We're faithful. We're amazing. We're awesome because we're created in the image of the living God. And we have all these great things, and it doesn't take those away. But sometimes I think when we wonder why isn't our life going the way we want, it's because we've tuned out certain areas. We've tuned out certain things. I'll repent when you do this. I'll change when you do this. I'll take a chance again when you do this. I'll believe in that brother when I see X, Y, and Z. I'll believe in that sister when I see A, B, and C. I will do these things when I see what I need. I will be obedient, which isn't really obedience, when I see fit. And we've got to watch that. But once we are obedient, what comes of it? What did it happen when Jonah finally decided to obey after the, after the fish spit him up? Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city. 
proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God, a fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. His obedience bred obedience. His obedience allowed and gave them a chance to be obedient. It gave them a chance at salvation. It gave them a chance to find truth, love, the living God. See, our disobedience isn't just affecting us no matter what we think. Our disobedience or our hurt or our pain or our frustration, it's hurting those around us. It's destroying friends and family and loved ones. Those that we love the most get hurt by that the most. But when we do see it, they can see it. It may not be immediate. It may not be as immediate as what happened in Nineveh. I got baptized and my parents banned disciples from their house, never wanted to see anything or hear anything from them. Man, that's a cult. Y'all are crazy and I want nothing to do with nobody. It took eight, nine years before they started giving disciples a chance. And now they ask me about disciples left and right. It took a, Some people it may take less. Some people it may take more. Some people it may never happen. But when we're obedient to the living God and people can see that life and example, they have a chance to find that truth. See, we're not playing a game anymore. Life is supposed to be amazing. We should be having fun. We should be out having a great time. We should be seizing the day and loving every aspect of life. But to do that, we need to set up boundaries through obedience that give us a safe place to have that fun, to have that joy, to have that peace. How do you have, think about it. When you first got baptized, how amazing everything was. Zaid, you've been baptized how long? <laughs> Feeling good, right? Everything spiritually is awesome. What I'm talking about sounds like a foreign language right now, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And, 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 you know, get to know Zaid. If you need to find some joy or just a smile or a hug to brighten your day, walk up to that man and you will leave, like, singing show tunes and dancing and just having an amazing time. But that's what it's all about. We've got to get back to that joy, that joy of salvation. Because when we did that, we were willing to do anything. And it freed us up to live an unfiltered, amazing life. Because we weren't worried about getting exposed or found out or disappointed or discouraged or angry or sad. We were just happy because we were saved. So we were willing to do anything. And then it freed it up to have an amazing time. we got to do that. Is your obedience humble? But when we do it, there can be sometimes just people that are obedient because they want attention, they want different things. But Jonah, he went to the king. He went to the Ninevites, and they said they were going to do. And what, what was the king's response? See, obedience can produce humility in you. It can produce a desire to do right even more and do it for the right reasons. Sometimes we, it speaks for me as myself as a man, Sometimes I just want you to be happy enough that I'm willing to do it, even though oftentimes people want you to want to do it, or why are you doing it? And this could be a challenge, but the scripture and the king, I think, says his response to Jonah's obedience is amazing to me. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. 
Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. What a heart. An enemy comes and tells him, danger, God's coming for you in 40 days. God's going to cut you down. He ain't playing. And what did that happen? It produced a desire in him to go, whoa. Remember that first moment when you were studying the Bible and you were, and you finally got it. And you said, oh, wow. How did I not see this before? How did I not understand what I did to God? We want to return to that point to produce that humility. Because each and every one of you are amazing and you do amazing things. This is an amazing ministry I am incredibly grateful to be a part of. I love every aspect of what we do. I love getting to serve the singles. I love getting to be a part of it. I love the sister stone of brother encouragement for the men in the west side on last Sunday. That was a lot of fun. But those things come with true humility. The women displayed an amazing amount of humility in how they served. In my own pride, it was almost uncomfortable because they were so humble. But it was amazing. So we got to be able to do that and realize how important obedience is. And in this part of the story, that kind of is a turn, because now that the obedience is there, once we become obedient, we have a second challenge. I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to love. I'm going to give everyone a chance. I'm going to forgive. I'm going to do all these amazing things. Now I need to learn discernment. I need to learn how to love. I need to learn what to do. And to help us get started with that, we're actually going to have a great chance to hear for a few minutes from uh, my amazing co-leader in our singles ministry in the West Side, Emma. Thanks, Dink. Hi, everyone. Um, So, great job, Dink. Uh, He always um, does a good job of that. Dink asked me to read chapters 5 and 6 sometime last week, and I looked at him, I go, is it a lot? He goes, no, it doesn't take too long, it's going to be fast. And so I read both chapters, and chapter 6 resonated with me. He wanted me to share. And so it's on discerning love. So that's love secret number 6, which is discerning love. And so chapter, that's chapter 6, the first page, first paragraph, Almost right away, the authors go straight into a message, and they say, loving people, it's not one size fits all. It's unique. It's individual. You have to know the people in order to effectively love them. And I thought, of course, that makes a lot of sense, but that's also a huge challenge because as disciples, we always have so many people. We meet so many people at events, um, the whatever Halloween event that's coming up, the conference, you meet so many different people, and even within your own sector. At the West Side, we have 20, about 34 single sisters, and I genuinely love all the sisters in the, in the West. So what I'm doing, however, is more like a one-size approach when I say I love you all because it's a genuine love for my sisters in Christ, but it's not specific to each individual. I do have that opportunity to know different sisters in the West, and I do have a a core group of friends there. I also am making that effort to get to know different sisters who are new to me in the the West. And um, 
by doing that, we know that we have different perspectives, we have different talents, different dreams, and the authors talk about that. And those unique differences are why they encourage us to make that effort to get to know um, individuals, people on an individual basis to effectively love folks. Next slide, please. And so how are we supposed to do this, he says, and we're not, we can't mold people the way we want. We're not a pile of clay. Rather, each person is individual. So we're charged, he says to, he, they say, be observant. Watch people, learn them, ask questions. Now, I, yeah, okay, I'll leave it at that. Ask questions. Figure them out. So get to know individuals. Not only are you asking questions, but you're trying to figure out why they do this, why they are the way they are, their likes, their dislikes, and so on and so forth. And then it tells you to love them their way. I go, of course, that makes sense. I want to love them their way, but not our way. But how challenging is that? Because oftentimes, you, we tend to do things that we feel, um, feel good. So I, I would probably use words of encouragement to encourage my sisters in Christ because that's my love language. But I need to take a step back and ask, what is your love language in order to effectively encourage you? Um, next slide, please. And so I thought we have 35 single sisters in the West. We have about 25 brothers. And I thought this chapter is really good because at, on page 123, if you get a chance, I hope everyone gets a chance to actually read it. It digs further when it gives us those charges, but it really convicted me because I thought, you know what? I really need to know my brothers in Christ a little more. And I looked at this beautiful picture of these handsome brothers, and I thought, who on here do I want to um, make this, take the time to get to know, to observe, to figure out, and to love his way? And it was quite clear who I needed to learn, who I needed to observe, and who I wanted to love his way. And it's the same person who asked me to read the chapters. And so my, my goal is to love Dink his way. Next click, please. That's the person I'm reaching out to. That's the person I'm going to focus on. For, and, and the goal is to, it's a strategy, right? That's what I do. I'm a strategist but to go with one person and continually work my way to try to know as many brothers as I possibly can. Um, and so next slide, please. So I did something just a little radical. I told him, I go, Dink, I read the chapters, but I don't think it's a coincidence that we're reading this chapter together and we're going to teach on it together because I really don't know you that much. And we have been co-leading together for about four months. And prior to that, we were, we led while um, he, Nick was in transition. And so almost a year we've been leading together. And we had a few bumps before we officially started leading. And of course, we're thinking, mm, I love you, but from over there. <laughs> and so this, and we've, we've, we've definitely been making some effort at working on that. Because I hear amazing things about Dink. He hears, I'm sure, amazing things about me. <laughs> Hopefully. But you know what? I'm so grateful to have so many people in our lives who look beyond what we see. Who look beyond our myopia and say, hey, look beyond that. This is what you're seeing. It's just, it's in your own um, way of seeing. But look beyond that. And so that really encouraged us to 
work on our friendship and our team, working as a team. Now, we work effectively together. We're very business. We get the job done. Very effective. But we had a conversation. I said, let's meet. I want to get to know you a little bit. And um, I wanted to know, first and foremost, what is his love language? And so I asked Dink, I go, you know what? Well, from my observation, it seems like you don't really like to hug a lot. And um, he goes, actually, my love language, primary love language is physical touch. That really surprised me because I, as is hers, that really surprised me because I didn't think that I would not have guessed that based on my observation alone without digging further and asking why maybe he did not initiate hugs um, as often as most of us would prefer. And so love language, I found out and I learned from my brother that his love language is physical touch, followed closely by words of affirmation. He's a big brother to two younger siblings, um, has been a disciple for 21 years. Um, Introvert or extrovert, he's a combination of both, is what he says. And what irks him, what irks you, Dink? He said, well, the thing he mentioned to me is legalism. Is that what it is? Yeah. And so this is what I found out about Dink. And when I look at this list, I'm thinking, these are basics. Sister, so if you're co-leading with a brother, working with each other on a group project, not group project, working with each other on events, wrong hat, working with with each other on events or anything of, of that matter, Make that effort to try to know that person, just the basics. I was almost embarrassed to find out that I didn't know these basic things about somebody who I've been co-leading with for almost 10 months. And so that's my share for today. And I have one scripture to set a segue to the next um, as he continues. And it's in Jonah 3.10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Thank you. Yes, I know. I need to hug more. No, but I really appreciate Emma's heart and and her taking initiative uh, really to dig in and for us to have a deeper conversation. Because we can't have different perceptions of people, life, situations, no matter what it is. And we have to learn how to discern what is true and what is not. Life can really be challenging, and Jonah had this challenge. So now God relents, but Jonah ain't good enough for him. Jonah going to get an attitude now. So how do you discern love? Jonah, let's see what Jonah decided and see if we can relate it all. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, God saving Nineveh, as Emma just read. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. And a lot of us might say, whoa, somebody's a drama queen. <laughs> But we all do it in our own way. You say, well, I've never said it'd be better to die than to have to, be, to have to discern or be obedient or accept God's judgment. But have you, how do you respond when others start dating? How do you respond when others get married? How do you respond when others get your dream? How do you respond when others 
do it or whatever, or you knew that something was going to work out a certain way. And some leader or somebody or a friend or a family member told you to do something differently than you wanted. You're like, I already know how this is going to work out. I already know the end result. I've done this a million times. I've been around umpteenth million years. I already know you little two-year-old Christian. Go along your way. I've already got this all figured out. And we don't discern the truth. We don't discern what's real. We assume how things are going to play out. We assume we know the end result. And and almost the worst thing for us is when we're right. Because then we can get angry, bitter, despondent, frustrated. I told you so. Everyone's favorite phrase to be told. Don't tell me I told you so. I don't like that one. I don't respond well. I don't respond well. So now I'm going to have about 20 brothers tell me, I told you so. No, um, but... When we need to discern love, we need to go and figure out what it is. Because what are we, when we're discerning, or we challenge, or we struggle, or we don't take the time to get to know people, or we don't invest in them, what are we doing? We're not discerning, investing, and learning how to love God's creation. You are God's creation. You are God's creation. We're all God's creation. So whether it's life, love, peace, joy, happiness... These things are created by the living God, and we need to learn how to discern how to do it. Because then when we get angry, we can start to go, it'd be better for me to have died. It'd be better for me not to be here at all. How can we die today? We can walk away and die spiritually. We can decide it's not worth it. I tried to put my best Jonah impersonation on and run. Thank God God didn't let me get away, and he humbled me. Humiliated, probably humiliated more than humbled, but it's what it took for me to be able to face the living God honestly. It's what it took for me to be able to come to him. What does it take for you? Is it a whisper? Is it going to take a yell? Is it going to take a tragedy? What does it take for us and for our friends? I want my family and friends to look at me and to see less of me and more of God every day. So I have to discern the scriptures. I have to discern how to love. I have to discern how to give. I have to discern how to accept God's plan whether I want it or not. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? There's a plant that grew and then died. It is, he said. And I am so angry, I wish I were dead. We've all done that in different ways. I know I shouldn't be frustrated, but she'd been a disciple for six months and now she's dating. I've been around 20 years. Picking on that one because we're singles. That one seems to come up from time to time. They went from campus straight to the marrieds. How dare they? The gall. How dare they be happy? But we have to ask ourselves. Sometimes it's like, bro, you mad, bro? What's up? Why are you mad? Did you create that other person? Did you create your life? Did you create your own salvation? Did you create anything you have? We talked about it at a, a singles devo we had on the west side a couple weeks ago about a Hebrew phrase, uh, dainu, which means it would have been enough. And it just talks about the exodus through Egypt and through life and through the Messiah. And at each step, if God would have only parted the Red Sea but not killed, Egypt, killed our enemies in the Dead Sea, it would have been enough. If, 
If the Messiah would have died for us for our sins but didn't raise on the third day, it would have been enough. If he rose on the third day but didn't give me the job I wanted, it would have been enough. If he gave me the job I wanted but not the spouse I wanted, it would have been enough. If he gave me the spouse I wanted but not the children I wanted, it would have been enough. We have to stop and see how much we've been given. We've done nothing to earn what we have. We need to discern where love comes from, what it is, who it's for, and what we can get. Because when we do, it frees us up for God to give us all the needs he knows he gave us. It's God knows when we're lonely. God knows when we're hurting. God knows when we have desires. God puts those things there. Ask a salesperson the worst time to make a sales call. When you're desperate. People can hear desperation on the phone. Go, ask an actor about an audition when they were desperate. Don't really get the part. We need to free ourselves up to discern and be free. Grateful for what we have. Grateful for the love. Obedient to God's plan. And when we can do these things, it unlocks all these different chapters, all these different secrets of love. It unlocks everything that we can have. Obedience and discernment are very foundations of love itself. Because without those things, you can't have love. You can't have respect. You can't learn how to see someone as an individual. You can't stop seeing, oh, I'm just going to love you the way I want to be loved. So let's see. We've all seen how far that gets us. And again, who knows better? You have been concerned about this plant? Though you did not tend to it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals? And by the way, the animals that fasted. (laughs) Remember, the king had no water or food for the animals as well. So then again, that just reinforces what we're talking about, that God has a plan. He knows what he did. And when we stop having proper discernment, when we stop remembering and everything being thrown through the filter of the joy of our salvation, that's the filter for discernment. Well, I don't want to give that person a ride because it's too far away. I don't want to go to midweek because it's this. It's the little compromises we make along the way because we stop discerning the gospels. But when we do, there's a better plan. We don't have to be resigned to Jonah's fate. We don't really know what happened to him after this. It's a cliffhanger in the Bible, and I believe probably on purpose. There's a lot of, the Muslims have a tradition, the Jews have a tradition, the Christians have a tradition. There's three different burial sites, none of us know. Some say he never left Nineveh, some say he went back to Jerusalem, some say he went back to Jerusalem and then back to Nineveh. But what we do know was he was faced with a very real crisis that he had to answer in himself. Am I going to trust the living God? Am I going to discern true love? Am I going to understand what it is? But I believe there's a passage, a chapter in the Bible, that expresses the perfect marriage between obedience and discernment. And it's three slides. It's not the entire chapter. I've kind of highlighted different aspects of the chapter. But I just want to read this straight through and see what... The psalmist had to tell us. For the enemy has pursued my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Therefore, my spirit faints within me. My heart within me is appalled. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. 
Answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. And in your steadfast love, you will cut off my enemies. And you will destroy all the adversaries of my soul. For I am your servant. God will defeat the enemies in your life. God will destroy those things that hurt you day in and day out. But it starts with being obedient, knowing your ways, trusting him, discerning, do I go left or right? How to give, when to give, how to do it with a free, unfiltered heart. But when you do, many of us have great, amazing victories in our life that have been told over and over and over again. My life has been restored. I told you of standing on a fishing dock with a 700-pound sea lion. And we had to sit there and, and, and had my Lieutenant Dan moment. But from that moment on, I made a decision. And a lot of tragedies have still happened in my life. A lot of frustrations have happened. But I have never been happier because I've been unlocked when I've made a commitment to do it God's way. And whether rich or poor, single or married, my circumstances will not dictate my obedience. It will not affect my discernment. And it will hopefully, prayerfully, never take away my love for the Creator who saved me. And I hope we can all say that and remember that and get back. Do you remember the day you were baptized? Do you remember the joy, relief, and jubilation you felt over those coming weeks? Do you remember the just stark contrast from your life before and after? Jonah forgot that. But we got to see it through the king and the Ninevites that did repent, that did have a great heart. So I just ask you to look into your life, see the good things that are there, see the love, joy, respect, see how much God's given you. There's over 100 people in this room. There's probably another 20 people watching on the, on the live stream right now and, and a bunch of others that unfortunately couldn't be here tonight. God has given you a lot of gifts around you. God will help you. And if we can serve each other in obedience of the scriptures, discerning what is true, and clinging to the truth every day of our life, our ministries can grow back to growing 10, 20, 30, 40% again. Because it's not based on our work, but it's based on the loving, giving work of the creator of the universe who will save those around us whom we can love and can love us. And we can live an amazing life and build a community that we would never, ever want to give up. Thank you and have a good night. You've just listened to the Elevate Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit elevatecoastal.com.